Good morning, everybody. Thanks for being here. This is week four of four in our series on creation and evolution. As we're uh, trying this year to, to spend more time thinking about the intersection of culture and Christianity um, and to kind of lean into our calling to be salt and light in the world um, and to love, love our neighbors as ourselves. So, week four, we're going to talk today about uh, how we can be equipped for conversations with our neighbors. And Steve and I are going to do some role-playing, and we're going to walk through three scenarios that, that we think are probably among the most common that you could expect to have. And we'll, we'll get to that later. We're going to start with some Q&A. We're going to invite Jonathan Yoder to come up and field questions. So uh, Q&A related to anything on the topic we've been discussing, creation and evolution. And we're just going to assume from the get-go that we are living in our um, divided universe where we, um, we believe that, you know, there's the attic upstairs with all the uh, meaningful but untrue stuff. And then we live down here on the, the living level of the house where um, everything real is, but none of it's beautiful. And um, that, that's the world we've been taught to live in, kind of post-enlightenment. And we've been trying over four weeks to deconstruct that model. That's not what the universe really is like. That's not really what Jesus is like. That's not really what Christianity should be like. It's just sort of what we've been sold. So we don't want it to seem like Steve and I are up here to answer the um, untrue but uh, sentimental spiritual questions, and Jonathan is here to answer the factual scientific questions. We don't want it to feel like that. However, <laughs> there is an expertise issue that's going to you know, kick in at some point. So we, the spectrum here, I'm in the middle. <laughs> doctor, doctor, random guy. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, so we're, um, you know, re-enchanting the world. And so hopefully our answers to your questions will, will have some of this function of kind of putting back together parts of our uh, minds and personalities and intellectual pursuits that often tend to get uh, disjoint. So uh, any questions fair game, we are well prepared to say I don't know is, is a legit answer to any question you have, but we hope we'll be able to answer uh, some of the questions that you might have. So uh, let me pray for us, and then you can, uh, we'll just start fielding questions. Holy Spirit, we pray that you work in our minds right now. Work in our minds by prompting some really great questions that would help us to explore the wonder and beauty of the world that we live in, and um, that would draw out some of the uh, things that Jonathan has learned and his expertise as somebody more trained and skilled and engaged in scientific pursuits day to day than many of us, and questions that would draw out the beauty and wonder of who you are and, and then help us to see the beauty and wonder of how all of this fits together because you really are the giver of all of life and the Lord over everything. Um, Lord, before the day is over, make us excited about being able to speak truth 
lovingly to our neighbors, some of whom may be Christians who are wrestling, some may be deconstructing Christians, some maybe have never had faith of any kind. Make us ready to love our neighbors and use this time together as a powerful instrument to, uh, yeah, the first domino that causes lots of others to fall over so that we would see more people become curious about you, more people come to faith in you, and more people ready to help others come to faith in you. Amen. Okay, who's ready to kick us off? Sue Birch. Um, the first week, I came away wondering, if I know friends who have asked this question, where does the biblical description of creation in the first two chapters, does it fall in the reason, facts, actual, or is it imagination-based values? Well, so, great question. So the question was, if, if we're working with our kind of two-story universe um, model and using that to think about the world and kind of saying that the upper story, the attic, is where imagination, beliefs, values, uh, faith, spirituality live up there, and the, the lower story where, where life actually happens, reason, facts, um, science, would, would go down here. So your intellectual life would go on the bottom story and your, uh, your heart life would go on the, in the attic. First of all, to say that is a description, not a prescription. No Christian should say that's the way we ought to think and that's the way we ought to live. We're using this to describe how we've been taught to think in a post-enlightenment world. If you wanted to read more about this, there's a little book called Escape from Reason by Francis Schaeffer. Um, and he, he often uses, he puts lots of different kinds of word groups above and below the line. He'll put nature down below and grace up top, or natural down below and supernatural up top. Um, and so, uh, this is not a Christian view of the world. So everything about Schaefer's book, Escape from Reason, is trying to break down that line and say, no, it's, it's one world. There's true truth, and uh, true truth is true, whether we're talking about the supernatural or the natural, whether we're talking about uh, beliefs or facts. Uh, now, the, the danger is I do believe that many people would say, because it's a religious text, the Genesis story, where are we going to assign it? If, if this is how we view the world, because it's a religious text, we're going to say it's up there. And therefore, it can't make any statements about facts and the real world. That's a wrong way to read Genesis. It's a wrong way to read literature. Right? I mean, even the most lyric poetry makes claims about the real world. When you write a beautiful poem, the first thing you're claiming is it is worthwhile in the real world to write a beautiful poem. Right? So, so uh, this kind of hard division isn't something that we ought to embrace. But I, I do think that there's a tendency of people to say, hey, I'm going to get my science and my facts from you know, textbooks, and I'm going to get my uh, religious take on the story from Genesis, and the two are on separate tracks, and you're never going to touch each other. And kind of that compartmentalized worldview that we want to get away from. So. And Jimmy, I would say that one of, one of the hardest things with that too, then, is that sometimes as Christians, we autocorrect. 
and we want to say, oh, this means so, so that we can say that the Bible is true, Genesis must only live here as well, which means that I'm going to bring this as my only science textbook, and I'm not going to be able to interact with anyone who might have any questions or views or comments about genre or about poetry or, or how things are written. Um, and, and there's just, there becomes no play, no play in there. That's a great point, Steve. Yeah, I just, this discussion about the, um, you know, talking about Genesis and where does it fit here reminds me of, uh, from a science perspective, if you're familiar with Carl Sagan, you know, he's a very popular scientist, promoted a lot of, you know, a lot of the theories of evolution, but in his, uh, if I have this right, in, in w- one of his documentaries, he starts it out by saying, the cosmos, it's all there is, it's all there's ever been. And I think you could ask the same question about, from him about where does that live? Like, is it up here in the attic or is it down here? And it really, I mean, he would say it's down here with facts, but that really is a faith statement he's making. And I think it, there's oftentimes, you know, scientists move into areas um, that they're not necessarily the best able to answer those questions. And I think that's important to engage, to ask those questions, to think about what are you basing this on? What, what are the facts, reason, understanding, belief you're bringing to this, to the, to this discussion? Great question. So we're going to repeat the question. Uh, pointing out that a hot topic right now uh, in our world is uh, climate change. And asking the question, as Christians think about that, is, is there a helpful way to, to sort out a, an appropriate approach to human responsibility without, without driving God completely out of, the, out of the equation? Is that a fair way to summarize what you're saying? What a what a great question! Yeah, I mean, I'll take a stab at it because I think this is. Uh, I mean, I think I think none of us have all the answers, and I think the um, you know it does appear, like you said, that the climate is there is change in the climate, and there's things that that seem to be related to human, um, you know, the human causing of that climate change. And so, are there things we can do to to um, understanding that God's earth. God called his creation good. And if we believe that, then that should motivate us to take action. But, you know, there's always those things. I think part of the challenge with any huge problem like that, there's not necessarily one, one thing any of us can do to solve it, but there's lots of small decisions any of us can do to, to make a difference there. And I think sometimes it's just wrestling with that thought of, God, we know you're in, char- in, in control, but there are all these big problems out there, and your, your creation is groaning under them. We don't want, want to be part of 
making that groaning worse. We want to be part of making, you know, working towards that good that you, uh, you, you envisioned in creation. So I don't know that I have the answer, but I think it, it does take both faith and, uh, uh, you know, your, your works to make things better. And I just encourage to, I would root it very much in it's the creation mandate we see in Genesis 1, stewarding the earth, having dominion over the earth. Like that is, that was a call for us whether or not the fall was going to happen or not. And so in some respects, all of us in our participation in this issue or any issue, but especially those in the scientific fields, like this, this is part of, this is part of what you were meant to do. You know, yes, it's this unique aspect of the world that's broken right now, but regardless of whether it was this piece that was broken or this piece or this piece, you actually can take some joy in, in maybe not seeing it as a binary between am I trying to take control from God or not, but instead seeing this is part of God's control that he is living out through you to help heal his world. So it's not an either or, it can be a both and. Yeah, a couple of thoughts just pastorally. Uh, one would be, I, I notice a tendency in a polarized culture for Christians to, we, I'm going to state this in a way that could be misheard, but sometimes the mindset becomes, I'm so afraid of being viewed as the enemy that I forget my identity. Right, so I know a lot of Christians who are afraid to say, Genesis says we ought to care about the health of the environment. Stewarding the world that God has made means we ought to be on the front lines of loving our planet. Some Christians are afraid to say that because they're afraid if they say it, then people are going to assume, I believe everything every news outlet ever said about climate change. And I haven't read all the science, so I don't know that I can affirm that. And so I'm, a, I'm so afraid of being assigned to a camp that I've forgotten my identity as someone who ought to take Genesis 1 and its implications for uh, creation stewardship seriously. And, and so getting out of that mindset, which doesn't just come up when we're talking about climate change. It comes up in a lot of things, right? Creation evolution. I'm so afraid of being assumed that, that I believe in evolutionism, C.S. Lewis called it, big E evolution, this naturalistic, atheistic version, that I'm never going to admit I've read any scientific journals or articles related to evolution. I'm so afraid of being assigned to a camp, I'm kind of forgetting my identity. And, and we've got to get out of that mindset as believers in Jesus. Um, so, you know, just kind of reminder not, not to get into that place. And, and secondly... Um, using this topic as a great way to have some deep conversations with people. Anytime anybody makes a comment about climate change, they tend to be assuming two things. Number one, the world we live in is good and we should want it to flourish and thrive. Number two, we shouldn't want human beings to suffer. Now, I don't have to agree with you about every claim published in every media outlet or every online, you know, everything set out in the blogosphere. We don't, I don't have to agree on all those things to say, you know what, I agree with you. This is a, this is a wonderful world. And as believers in Jesus, I, we shouldn't want people to suffer. Let's talk more about that. Why is it that you think the world is wonderful? Let's talk about that. That's a fun conversation. 
What reason do you have for not wanting your neighbors to suffer? I have my reasons, but I wonder what yours are. Tell me about that. These are some great opportunities for deep conversation about really meaningful things. Now, as, as believers in Jesus, I think what, what we've got to remember is human beings are a glorious ruin, right? We, we are like the Colosseum in Rome. I'm stealing this analogy from someone else, uh, Richard Winter, a friend of mine. The Colosseum in Rome is at both a glory and a ruin, right? You can tell it was once more glorious. It's still very impressive, but you can also tell this is not what it was meant to be. Nobody designed it to be in this ruined state. That's what it means to be a human. And some conversations about climate change assume that we're 100% ruined and that we are the blight on the surface of the planet. And they overlook the fact that we're all so glorious. And, and then there's a, there's a version that, that can flip it the other way. We're glorious. Everything we ever did uh, in the name of economics and developing the resources of the world was perfect and appropriate and Get out of my way. <laughs> I'm a big C capitalist. Uh, right? and, and that tends to overlook the, the, the biblical truth. Of you, we gotta, how can you explain that human beings are at once capable of so many noble, selfless acts and capable of so many terrible things? The biblical storyline is the only thing that explains that adequately because it says we're, we're both the glory and the ruin simultaneously. And uh, somebody's done something to turn back the ruin. So, anyway, great stuff. Great inroads to fun conversations. Did Adam lean with a dinosaur? Then Okay. <laughs> Repeating the question, because Steve has trained me well, did Adam name the dinosaurs? And what about Neanderthals? So, I'm wondering if Adam had mastered spelling. Could he even spell... <laughs> Brontoplachiobrachiosauropod. That tells you how up I am on my uh, dinosaur, dinosaur nomenclature. Um, Jonathan, I can't help but feeling that you're probably the most qualified to answer this question <laughs> of the three of us. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a great place to, to think about, you know, what did God, you know, God was in, in that act of creation you know, we talked about this the, the other week about him dividing things, you know, the land animals, the sea animals. Um, you know, here's my view of this, you know, and I would say that, you know, we're always think we're always understanding more about science. My understanding of the what we know about the from the fossil record is that dinosaurs and humans have never been um, been on the planet at the same time. Does that mean we won't find something later? No, no we could learn something that we don't know already. Um, um, and then it kind of gets into your second question is about what about Neanderthals or what about other um, human human type um, creatures that it, from all intents and purposes go back much further back than when we consider or we think that we, we uh, you know recorded human history you know basically the last 10,000 years. And so what, what about that? Could, how does that fit with our understanding of God? You know, my, my, this may sound like, a, you know, I'm living up on the top story here, but, but I, you know, I think that God, God obviously is, is able to do creation in any way he wants to. Um, and, and, and that could include, you know, successive generations of people in which he had not put, or, or creatures in which he had not put a special 
um, stamp of his image on them, which is what, what it describes when it talks about Adam. Um, is that the way it happened? I'm not sure, because I think Genesis, there's a lot of things in Genesis that we would like to know, but it's not written as a you know, minute by minute uh, account of all that happened and, uh, you know, here's the, here's the entire DNA of everything and here's how this was all put together. That's just not the way it was put together. I think, I think in, your, in what we needed to know was that Adam was put there, uh, given responsibility for naming the animals that were there. In my view, that didn't include dinosaurs. But I, I'll even say that I really love, Jonathan, what you just said in terms of even the emphasis you just made is on what calling did, Adam, did God give Adam? So we can talk about fossil records. We can talk about some of the different theories and how some of that would play out. But even in that, the emphasis becomes, if they were there, Adam would have named them. If they're around, Adam would have named them because that, that really is the focus of the text. I'd also just throw out another resource. Um, some of you were at our Science and Faith Symposium. I was trying to find the weird word that we used. Um, Jack Collins, um, we recommended at that symposium a much larger uh, but really, really helpful book called Science and Faith. He's written, he's also written a much smaller book, but specifically dealing with some of these issues in terms of the Neanderthal and kind of human question called Did Adam and Eve Really Exist? And I would affirm that to anyone, especially if you die after about 200 pages or so. It's a really, really great resource for you. So the, the question about the naming of the animals, uh, a couple of thoughts. One, I, I thought of that last week when Estella was walking us through um, some of her slides about her work as a geneticist and uh, realizing, in a sense, we're still unfolding that process of naming the animals. Um, we've started naming the parts of the animals, Right and the parts of the parts of the parts of the animals, and and so to go from hey a, a a period in human history when we didn't have labels for even you know to distinguish elephant from tiger, um, and and we need those and we start there, uh, but but now the process has continued and and we've gone on to like not only name this animal but but groups of animals taxonomy and we've gone on to name the parts of the animals right the systems the the organs and then down to the cell and the parts of the cell and now unpacking dna like giving names to uh, all the little element and and so in a sense we're continuing that genesis story and that uh, appropriate human activity of looking at the world god made and saying we want to be able to have intelligent conversations about this, right? So I don't want to just walk in a room and say, y'all, an animal is in the street. That's not as intelligent a conversation as, y'all, a tiger is in the street. Let's get the children to safety. Or, y'all, a sloth is in the street. Have you ever seen one of these? Come check it out. Um, you know, we can have more intelligent conversations as we kind of continue that naming process. Uh, Steve recommended one resource. Uh, I'll close up our Q&A time by recommending another resource. Now, you've you got to be in it to win it for this one. This is a thousand pages. Um, <clears throat> this book is called Theistic Evolution, uh, a Scientific, Philosophical, and Theological Critique. So in this, this is a collection of essays by probably about 70 different scholars, uh, one by our friend Jack Collins, 
Um, and, and one that I've been enjoying, which is a, a review of uh, C.S. Lewis's discussions of evolution. Um, but there's a lot of really technical, scientific uh, study in here and a lot of high-level philosophical uh, stuff in here. Uh, and if you, were, if you wanted to see kind of debates among Christians who adopt a view of theistic evolution uh, that is, a, in my view, a, a fairly extreme one where, where God gets almost, almost pushed completely out of the equation. And then scientifically minded Christians who are saying, maybe we don't have to go quite that far. Let's, let's, let's see if, if our biblical texts together with our scientific data can lead us to something that's not quite that extreme. That's what's happening in this book. So, so don't assume that everyone you know who might say, I believe in theistic evolution, believes in the brand of theistic evolution that's discussed in this book. But if you were looking for some technical conversations around uh, a, a wide range of, of very sophisticated issues, scientific, genetic, philosophical, um, this, this is a great bedside read. <laughs> or at least it has been for me. For it. Now, I'm, I'm going to be quite honest. You see where the bookmark is? I could have just stuck it there, right? <laughs> like, that doesn't mean I've read all that. But I've been working on it for about two years. Um, and, and so this is not a quick read, but it'll, it'll take you down some, some uh, interesting paths and uh, probably give you some insight into the kind of question we just had. So, Jonathan, thank you so much. By the way, as we, as we transition, we throw out a lot of resources to you. We want to be more and more of a resourcing church. Um, and so we'll mention some of the sermon again today, and we're trying to move forward with this with Christ and Christianity. We, we don't want to freak you out, though, when we bring a book like this in. Um, I just want to recommend this to you. We live in an age now where even just marketing requires people to talk about what they have written a lot more than they used to. So I would recommend if, if you want to dip your toe into some of this and then kind of move forward with it, with any of the things that we recommend to you, you can usually at this point Google a book, find the table of contents, usually even Google the essay writer who wrote something. And at some point, somebody has had them on a podcast interview or Google has brought them on to do their lunches or various things like that. And often that can be a great kind of 30-minute, 15-minute intro. Um, those of us who love books would never want you to replace your reading habits with that. Uh, but I realize that it can be really, really scary for us sometimes to just feel like we have this never-ending pile of book rec recommendations that we can never get out from under. So just want to push that to you. We can engage with some of these ideas without feeling absolutely overwhelmed as Christians. So, Also, uh, just because some of you don't know it, um, and because I couldn't find it on my email, the IDX logo from InTown is used instead of our regular logo here. Um, I point that out to you in part because our IDX logo doesn't have student ministry attached to it. So anytime if someone, a visitor or whatnot, asks you, what is that weird IDX thing? 
IDX stands for Identity in Christ, and it is the student ministry of this church. We have about 120 students that meet on Sunday nights and learn about Jesus together. So if you ever see that, wonder what it is, or need to tell somebody else what it is, there you go. You have it now. No excuses. Yeah, so to Steve's point, we're, uh, we're going to be doing a little bit of role-playing here, um, and at no point in the role-play will I be saying, hello, friend, would you like to read a thousand-page book about theistic evolution? <laughs> like, no, that's probably not a wise uh, strategy for a first or second or third conversation about these things. Yeah, with, with I want friend. to get this book. I yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I just, e- even there, just right. the idea of... Yeah. <laughs> Telling you where I start before I buy that. So, Steve, um, what we, we talked about three scenarios this week, Steve and I. And these are, are like real world, like as we have conversations with real life human beings, what are the kinds of scenarios that come up most frequently in our ministries? Now, we might overlook a conversation you've had or a question that you might wonder about because that's not part of our ministries. So as we try to make this more real world, it might not perfectly align with your real world, but we hope we've given you some principles that would be flexible and adaptable. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, can we just name the scenarios uh, up sure. front, Steve? What, what are you... Yeah, so we talked about the, the, some of the three that are most common. And by the way, I actually would love to point out, Jimmy, that even in trying to answer Sue's question earlier about Genesis... Yeah. You basically modeled some of the same things we're about to model right now with a fourth conversation, which was more on the Bible and how certain things fit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, this really is just sort of a framework. But the questions that we realized pop up a lot for us are, um, one would be kind of the deconstruction conversation. So somebody who has, using language all the way back from the nuns that we used last uh, fall, this idea that people are, um, especially who have grown up in the church or grown up in Christendom and now are going, oh, I went to college or I've lived in life and now I'm rejecting or in the process of rejecting or questioning everything I was brought up in. That is one way we get into these conversations quite often. A second one is um, almost the... uh, the Christian apology, not Christian apologetic, but Christian yeah. apology conversation where maybe someone, a neighbor, a friend, a coworker has encountered a well-meaning brother or sister in Christ who has nonetheless displayed not the level of care and nuance and empathy that we have hopefully tried to talk about here yeah. and maybe makes things worse rather than better. And then the third one is um, maybe how someone would come across this, not encountering a Christian aspect at all, but really bringing some of that big E evolutionism, naturalism to bear, but on everyday practical realities. So ideas like um, I can do whatever I want because we're all really just a bag of chemicals, right? Or I... um, they ground whatever the conversation is in the sense that it's okay that there's really nothing else other than this because, hey, this is where we came from. This is where we're going. I'm going to live life the way I can right now. Yeah. So we want to work with those scenarios a bit. And um, just to orient you to your handout, you'll see 
we're, we're talking, this is the overall framework, spend, befriend, invite, right? If, if you want to know how to, if you want to know how to do outreach, <laughs> it's, 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 it's that easy. Spend time with people, be a good friend who asks a lot of questions and listens carefully, and you're more, you're, 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 you're not just interested in, in getting a chance to say what you think needs to be said, right? But, but listening, uh, answering the question that's actually being asked, listening well enough to know when somebody has said something that deeply matters to them and handling that with appropriate care. Uh, spend, befriend, and invite. Uh, so it's just not a complex, you know, 25-step You'll be an expert apologist if you can do all of these things simultaneously, perfectly. No. You know how to do this. You know how to spend time with people. You know how to be a good friend. And we want to equip you as a church to be you know, talking about how, how do you invite people to kind of take a next step into a conversation that would go a bit deeper spiritually. Um, so, uh, and then if I could, I want to pull out something that Steve put on our handout. There it is. These are actually the most important things. If you don't know how to spell evolution and somebody asks you a hard question about faith and science and you do these three things, it'll be okay. Because these are the, probably the three greatest barriers to, uh, to even considering coming close to a Christian community in, in our culture, right? I'm afraid you hate me and you see me as second class. I think Christians think they're better than me. And why would I want to even touch on that topic if you're just going to look down your nose at me? So the more you can model, no, that's not what I'm like at all. You're doing good work. You're a modern day C.S. Lewis if you're doing that. I'm not afraid to think. I haven't hidden my brain somewhere in, in a vat to protect it so that my faith can be strong, right? I'm not separating mine down here on the bottom floor and belief up here on the, in the attic. I am not afraid to use my mind. I, honest answers to honest questions don't frighten me because I am a Christian. If we can model that, that'll be a win. And then... Many people don't believe that the center of Christianity is love for Jesus. If we can restore that, we will have done a lot. right? I think many of our neighbors think the center of Christianity is winning a culture war, or the center of Christianity is winning a debate. The center of Christianity is going to church doing good things, not doing bad things. The center of Christianity is being pro-life or being anti-woke or the center of Christianity is what you fill it in no matter what. Like, can we carve out space that says, I agree with you. I am so frustrated that that is what people have come to think of, of my own faith. And I want to say to you, I think the center of Christianity is love for Jesus. If we can do those three things, right, we're, yeah. we're, we're doing good, good work. And can I just affirm to one more thing, Jimmy, that you said of just the, the naturalness of these conversations? Now, given role play is never 
perfect, and you know, we pray desperately that this doesn't come across as like 1970s cheesy, but functionally, nonetheless, like, again, these conversations will come up in your real lives, and that's okay. And if they last two minutes or 20 seconds or two hours, that's okay too. We even, I mean, a lot of the time, you know, we, we mentioned we don't have to be modern day C.S. Lewis's. Even C.S. Lewis, I mean, we remember Mere Christianity as a book and some of the other books the guy read. Even Narnia started as conversations and letters with a little girl, niece that he had, telling bedtime stories to. These things popped up as natural outworkings of people's real lives and people's real longings. And we sometimes have baptized some of these people as, as, as better than us, a pantheon that we will never be able to aspire to. God doesn't want C.S. Lewis in your neighbor's life. He wants you in your life. Maybe introduce C.S. Lewis later. But the reality is that <laughs> that relationship is, is the important part. So, yeah. All right, where do you want to start? Uh, let's start with uh, when we talk about in your office. Let's talk about um, what we talk about first. We're talking about the apologetic one first. Okay, uh, so, um, and, and who do you want to be? You're, 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 I'll be the Christian this time. You're the Christian. I'll, I'll be the, All right, I'll be you're the, the in-town member. I'll be the in-towner this in time. In-town member, and, and I am a co-worker. Okay. Who, uh, so uh, I, I have in mind real people here. So I am a co-worker. I'm a young woman who is studying biological sciences or studied biological sciences in college. And um, I, I heard a ridiculous comment at a Christian funeral recently. And I just overheard a couple of our colleagues at work having a conversation about the Bible and creation. And so I'm frustrated and I'm going to kind of bring it to Steve. Uh, Steve, so good to see you, man. Um, so I, I want to tell you something. I'm a little nervous about it because I don't want you to be offended. I, I know you well enough to know that you're a man of faith. I think I've heard you talk about belonging to a church nearby. But um, you know me. I'm, a, I'm an external processor, and i got to vent a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to hurt you in the process. But here goes. Uh, I'm having a little PTSD because of something I just heard a couple of our coworkers talking about. Um, and uh, they, they were having a conversation about science and faith. I don't, I don't know, but I, I, heard them, I heard them talking about... Um, it sounded like they were talking about stuff they just don't know anything about. Yeah. Um, and I, I think they're probably sincere people who genuinely think that God created everything... But I don't think they even know how to spell the word evolution. And here's the PTSD part. Um, not long ago, I was at a funeral, and, and the pastor, I'm not a Christian, but you know, I, I went to this funeral out of respect for a family member. And he thought he was doing a great thing, uh, encouraging people uh, by describing how beetles turn into butterflies. And, and I just can't separate these. I've just heard too many people from your tribe uh, talk about scientific things or try to, but it's clear they, they have no clue what they're saying. And it's just hard for me to take <clears throat> present company excluded. It's hard for me to take people like that seriously. I told you I just need to vent a little bit. No, that's okay. Thanks so much for you know, feeling comfortable that we can talk about this sort of thing. Um, 
Yeah, sometimes I find it hard, too, when I hear people talk about things that I think they don't understand. I'll be honest, I do appreciate how you, you kind of said their well-meaning, um, or you, th- you, you thought their well-meaning. I think, I think sometimes it's really easy for someone just to think Christians are always out to get everyone who doesn't agree with them. And um, I don't know if you've ever felt that way. I am a Christian, and I've, I've felt that way in the past, but... Yeah, well, it, it feels like everybody's out to get somebody these days. Um, oh, yeah, that's it's true. A, it's a polarized world. But yeah. um, since you brought it up, sure, yeah, I, I see more Christians on the war path, I think, yeah. than, than people from other faiths, and that, that does bother me. Yeah. yeah, I'm really sorry, man. Does any man, Susie, does any... Um, <laughs> do you ever feel like you, you've ever heard anyone do that well? I mean, do you think that there is at all kind of a place for science and any sort of religion or something out there that's not, you know, able to be understood or whatnot? I, I want to think it can be done well. I want to think there could be people who have real faith and who know what they're talking about. Yeah. Intellectually. Um, but to be honest, I don't have a lot of good role models to draw yeah. on in that. Um, most of the thinking people I know uh, either aren't religious or their religion is, doesn't really enter into their academic yeah. or work life. No, I, so I, I just don't know. I, totally, I mean, I can totally tell you it's, it's a struggle for me too. Uh, but... You know, I really appreciate that you've been so honest with you know knowing what I believe and whatnot. I really do try to bring my faith to work here, um, and I hope you felt that that hasn't gotten in the way of my job here working with you. Um, but but I actually see you know my own kind of work here in the scientific field as as a way of me living out my faith. Um, I've actually been encouraged to be able to do that more, not as something that gets in the way with it and not as some sort of war path. I think we're, we're going for the same goal here. Hmm. I, I think I always just assumed you like had two hats and you took, took one of them off when you were at work <laughs> and then you take your work hat off when you go to church. Well, I, w- I wish it was, uh, sometimes I wish it was that easy, but, um, but no, it's actually been really, really encouraging that, you know, I, I really feel like Jesus has put me, uh, in a spot for a reason uh, to care for his world. And I kind of want to live that out. Hmm. Um, yeah. I, don't, I don't know many people like you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, no, I'm just, I'm trying. I'm trying. You know, hey, I, I will tell you, our, our church is doing this thing um, in a couple of months on science and faith. I know that's kind of scary to say my church is doing this thing, um, but we're, we're trying to get a, a couple of scientists up who are going to talk about some of these things. And um, I would love, I'd love to, to bring you along. Uh, we're just going to have some dessert. It's not a church service. It's not anything like that. You don't have to say yes or no now. I, I just wanted to throw that out there. But I feel like this is something that, look, I'd love to get better at. Um, and I'd love to talk with you about it more if, if you've got some time sometime. Your beetle butterfly man's not going to be there, I hope. <laughs> I think the guy who's speaking went to MIT. He's not a Beetle Butterfly man. <laughs> uh, let me think about it. Okay. Awesome. And see.
We want to debrief a little bit. What what did you hear? What did you see? Love your neighbor as yourself. If, if you were talking to someone about something that is bothering you, meaningful to you, you'd, you'd want to know that you were being heard, right? It's just a sign of love, that kind of neighbor love. Right? Mm-hmm. Especially, if, especially if you're coming in with a mindset that says, either you don't know how to use your brain and I want to have an intellectual conversation and maybe you don't want to do that because you're a Christian, or you hate me. So the, the more, you know, just carving out that safe space mm-hmm. to begin with. Jane? Yes. Uh, so, so that, I think that's a great reminder. I mean, Steve, notice Steve did a good job of assuming that. In other words, Steve did not lean in as a, hello, stranger on the subway. I've never seen you before, but let's have this deep, meaningful conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, n- not that those things can never occur. No. Um, but, I mean, the reality is you can even do this with someone you randomly meet on oh, yeah. MARTA. Sure. But the way that's going to work is going to be more like, hey, I like your shirt. Or, hey, that music you're listening, like, I like that song too. Or there's still that sense of connection. Now, because it's going to be randomly on the MARTA, we're also not going to have, you know, the history of going super deep and certain things like that, the emotional things, but even there. The idea being that there's not a, um, and this is something that we put here in this first category There is a difference between living your life with intention, i.e., we believe something about the world, and we would love for everyone else to lean into the world the way we do, and us having an agenda with people. There's a difference between those two things. One of them is just sharing who you are and believing that as you share who you are and as they share who they are, there's an exchange of ideas and the Holy Spirit's at work. The other one is, I have a belt, I need notches on that belt, and I am going to go into you know, my workplace with a sledgehammer uh, called evangelism that is going to actually make all of my friends not my friends anymore. <laughs> And then, to be honest with you, the way that usually plays out is then I get all high and mighty and righteous and say, I'm being persecuted for my faith because no one wants to talk to me anymore. Yeah. Really, you just have been a jerk. All right. Well, we, you got to preach soon. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, let's go to another one. Let, let's do another one. Pick another one. Um, let's, do, let's do deconstruction. Can you be in towner? I'll be in towner. You need to be in towner? Yep. Okay, sweet. Oh, oh man. Um, not Pastor Jimmy, Jimmy. Um, Clarence. Oh, man. Um, I'll be Clarence. Hey, yes. it's, it's so good. It's so good to see you again, man. You know, I, I, just, got, I just got back from Georgia State. You know, this is, it's, it's Christmas time, so I'm back visiting with my parents. How are you doing? Um, yeah, pretty good. Christmas is a sweet time for, oh, that's for awesome. us and our family. Yeah, man. I, I'm, I'm excited to, to see my family and stuff again. Um, yeah, I don't know if I'm, I'm going to you know, see you again. Um, I know kind of bounced around. I'm sure you've got a bunch of church stuff going on and everything. But um, yeah. 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 You know, I was going to ask, though, you know, since I ran into you, um, do, you, do, you, do you still 
you still go to in town kind of frequently, like most of the time? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's uh, just a big part of life for me and everybody else in, how, in the house. So. How do you do that? I mean, like, uh, okay, I'm, I'm sorry. No offense. Like, we've been yeah. friends for a long time. But Ooh, un- unpack that question no, for me. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> that's coming from a deep place. No, I mean, like, okay, I'm finally, you know, a couple years into my program now, and I, between the number of crazies out there and, you know, finally what I'm getting to hear, uh, you know, and these awesome professors who are sharing me about the, the beauty in the universe, and I love what I'm preparing to do. And I cannot imagine believing some of the things, you know, especially given, you know, church was complicated and weird and wasn't easy before and whatnot. Like, I'm sorry, man. Like, I, I can't, I can't buy into this anymore. Like, this is, it's so much better now to think about life as awesome and, and great as opposed to, like, drab and scary and mm. weird. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, I, I just have to say I'm honored that you would, would want to share those things with me. That means a lot to me. Um, and I don't take that for granted. I, I feel like, you know, you're, you're kind of showing me some of the fine china <laughs> stored in the very special cabinet yeah. of your heart. And um, probably not everybody gets to see that. And I don't want to take that for granted. That means a lot. Thanks. I'm actually uh, yeah. I'm glad I ran into you. I'm really, really afraid of telling my parents that I don't want to go to Christmas Eve mm. at the church with them. Wow. Yeah. Of course you are. <laughs> That's heavy. Can I pick up on something you said? First of all, I, I, love, I love the fact that you want to be excited about the universe we live in. Like I heard you saying... You want to live in a beautiful universe, yeah. not a drab one. And I love that. And I, I want to take a step back and say, I think if Christians are doing our faith right, then, then that's what the universe should seem like to everyone we come in contact with. And... It sounds like that's not what you carried away from your time as part of in town. And I'm sorry. It should be different. Every person you know who loves Jesus ought to think that the universe is wonderful and beautiful. So I don't want to downplay or minimize the tension that you're feeling. But hear me say, I, I don't see those two things as being in contradiction, hmm. right? Taking Jesus seriously and living in an awe-inspiring universe. I think those things can hold together, and, and they ought to. And I, I realize for you right now, those yeah. things, it sounds like you don't see them as fitting together very well. Yeah. No, I, I, I hear you. I, I, wish I, could, I wish I could know more Christians like that. Is that not something you're experiencing in your sort of campus campus life, campus community? No, I mean, I'm again, I'm, I'm around really awesome people who are excited about the universe, and every once in a while, when my mom asks me whether or not I've gone to church somewhere, usually I lie to her, but uh, every once in a while, um, 
someone does drag me there or there's a cute girl I want to like get to know more and she's at church or something like that and I'll go and it just feels like two completely separate worlds. Yeah. I don't know how much of my story you know or you might think you know this piece but I'll tell you a little bit about my family. My my parents really emphasized academics growing up and not a whole lot of creativity in our home. And um, so I'm realizing now as I get a little older that I kind of created this really sharp gap between knowing facts and, and creativity. Mm. Um, and I think I, I slipped into this mode of Christianity that was all about um, just theology. Just give me the, the statements, the bare bones. Um, I'm wondering, you're the Christianity that you are unhappy with right now. Is it a Christianity that that does creativity, or is it one that's that's more like all mind, or is it a good healthy balance of the two? Man, I don't even know. That's. I'd love to think about that more. I don't even know. Okay. Is that something, like, I know we don't see each other on a regular basis, but, hey, digital world, we can probably find a way to stay in touch. Yeah, um, I'd love that, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm in town for a couple of weeks. Okay. Yeah. Good. Well, I need to introduce you to this uh, wonderful woman I know. Her name is Trisha Egan. <laughs> <laughs> and um, there's a group of people that meet regularly in her house to kind of recapture the beauty of the world and and to think about how how do creative things relate to Christianity I found it the like it, it, oh. it's a good way to fill a hole in my own soul you feel like it's not going to be too churchy weird anything like that uh, yeah no some of it's real churchy weird I'll be upfront and honest um, <laughs> better question than, is there sometimes food there is food. All right. Um, <laughs> and uh, there's a, but it's a safe space where I see a lot of people coming and, and kind of opening up a part of them that, that they don't always get to open up. That's awesome. I'd love to, love to maybe try that out. Yeah. Maybe we can connect. Awesome. Okay. I'll shoot you the details. And see. Good. All right. Hey, do yeah. you need to go preach? How about we do this? No, How about right. let's, let's unpack this one. Let's yeah. not move on to number three, um, yeah. and we'll unpack this one, okay. and then I'll head out. Yeah. Good. I can unpack it alone if you yeah. need to head out. I'm interested for another five minutes. Okay. All right. <laughs> what do you see? <clears throat> Similarities, differences, very different person coming to the table. For some of you guys, this one actually hits pretty home. This is your kid. Or somebody that you know. Saul was the care didn't change. Mm. I mean, you already had a relationship, and so when you see saying how you do changing the things you were questioning, Jimmy didn't say, Well, you know. What's wrong with what's you? Wrong
Totally. There wasn't a defensiveness. Like, I actually appreciated that you actually, we kind of made it in town here. Yeah. And that's not actually saying anything yes or no about past in town, but the reality of, you know, even if, if we weren't just college friends, but you actually were like an adult here and like it hurt maybe to hear, oh, I grew up not thinking, not getting what I wish I would have gotten out of in town. You didn't react defensively to that. Yes. And part of that is my experience as a seminary professor. I know that you can, you can teach people good things and they don't learn it. Mm. I used to say, they didn't teach me that in seminary. But once I was a professor, I started saying, I didn't learn that in seminary. <laughs> and those are two very different things. Totally. So, so like, you know, it, it is no, it is no um, critique of in town to say that someone didn't get something mm-hmm. by being here. Like, yeah. we may be doing as much as we can and doing it right and doing it faithfully and well, not never perfectly. That doesn't mean everybody's going to get it. And, and so we don't have to have a high defensiveness and pride reflex. By the way, that's me telling my real story. That's Jimmy's story. That and, and Trisha is God's answer to make me a whole person again. And to kind of, so, so all of that, just modeling the, the, what Steve said earlier, so wise. Like God doesn't want some perfectly trained master evangelist to be in the lives of your friends. He wants you there. That's why, you're, that's why he's put you there. Mm-hmm. And they may have walls that would go up in the presence of that imaginary ideal person that they're down when they're with you. And so don't try to tell somebody else's story. You don't have to memorize a canned script, right? It's just be honest. And I feel like the more we tell our real story with other people, that invites them to do the same. And it may not be tidy. It's not a, you know, I've got the perfect answer to your question that's going to solve everything right here instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in it for the long haul. I'd love to point one more thing out, and then yep. I'll pass it over to you to kind of wrap everything up. And that's just the, the differences and similarities of the invite piece there at the end between the two conversations. Again, sometimes, to be honest, my, my cynical hat, even when I look at a, a handout like this, the moment I see invite, I go back to that agenda-laden piece that has, you know, me growing up in an evangelistic culture that said, oh, and here is the track I want to hand you about this, and immediately shut down conversation. <clears throat> that invite simply is a, let's keep this conversation going. It's valuable. It's a good thing. Like, we're, we're actually even affirming again them in being able to say, hey, what you care about And the answers you've given matter. And I'd love to actually love you better and more and invest more of my time in you, in that. And so that that then can can span from, hey, I just want to get together again and talk about this, to, hey, I've got a great resource that maybe we can talk about together, to, hey, my church is doing this thing and it would be helpful. There's a whole span of those. Now, on us as in town, we want to expand our offerings for you all so that you have a huge variety of things you could invite someone to or do different things like that. Like, uh, And there's a couple of those here at the very bottom. 
So by the end, Jimmy did invite me to the literature thing that happens in the Agins. But at the beginning there, it was literally just, hey, you want to connect online or you want to... And, and both of those were valid and good. And so just kind of having that sense, again, the, the point of all of this is not we're trying to recruit more people for in-town stuff. The point of all of this is simply how do we love people and continue the conversation and then on us as in-town leadership, it's how do we create varied spaces yeah. for you guys to do that if the person who you are loving in this way would feel comfortable doing so. So don't feel like that invite you know, automatically becomes insert in-town event right. here. Sometimes it can be something very personal. I have, for example, um, I'm thinking of my friend Norman in Clemson had a coworker who was asking some pretty deep questions and Norman was like, I, I just don't feel equipped to answer these, but, but I know someone who, would, who, who probably could. Would you mind having lunch with me and my pastor sometime? Hmm. Right? And man, I've, several times throughout the course of my ministry, I've, I've had opportunities like that. It's always been fun. Uh, Randy Pope sometimes uh, shows up and he's like, I'm a life coach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and for me, and Can I, you know, would you like to sit down and talk with me and my coach? <laughs> and half like, the time for me, especially in a like resource laden world, half the time for me, how this plays out actually is reverse invitation where the other person is like, oh, you should check this thing out. And the, the invitation aspect of this handout for me is I'm going to say yes and then actually do it. So if it was, uh, so a while back when, when Jonathan um, brought out the Carl Sagan thing, I mean, from what I know and I've watched about Sagan's stuff, what's amazing is even though he lives down at the bottom, man, his documentaries were beautiful. And he actually did a lot more than that. If I hadn't ever heard of Carl Sagan before and we were having that conversation, as a Christian, I want to be like, yeah, let, I'd love to check that out. And then let's talk about it. Yeah. And then in an age of YouTube, like, you can find stuff like that. So yeah. we'd we'll right, love that. get out of here. All right. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, guys. <clears throat> All right, well, let's, uh, let's close in prayer. I hope that these four weeks have been helpful for you. We're going to start a new series next week. Um, and uh, notice our, our question uh, over overarching that series is about marriage. Is marriage still relevant in our culture? So I hope you hear in that, hey, this is not a, this is not a three steps to a healthier marriage kind of seminar. This is a, where does marriage even fit in a culture like ours? And therefore, it's not, uh, th- these four weeks are for all of us, for people who want to be married and aren't, for people who don't ever want to be married, for people who are married, for people who were once married and no longer are, like, it's, it's for all of us because the questions about marriage in our culture are impacting all of us no matter where we are in terms of our own relationships. So hope to see you uh, next Sunday for that. Let me pray for us. And we're going to um, use Psalm 8 as a guide for our prayer. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Um, we, we, we thank you that this is the way Psalm 8 opens and closes. And it talks, Lord, about the, the work of your fingers, that you made the moon and stars and set them in place, 
And, um, and it comes from a place of great humility. If you can make the moon and stars, then what is man that you are mindful of him? Why would you care for human beings the way that you do? Um, this is all wonderful and glorious. And we pray that um, you would help us to recapture that sense of wonder and humility and awe. And that it would become infectious. Arguments persuade people. Uh, but uh, wonder invites. And uh, we, we pray that you would make us a wonder-filled people um, whose lives are attractive in our world. And we pray that that attractive force of our lives would um, lead many people to hear good news about Jesus and many of them to embrace it. Lord, thank you for this day. And uh, fill us with wonder as we worship you together. Now, amen.